Hey guys, ladies. You know, one of the beautiful things about this gathering right now is that it shows that we are a community, that we are a group of individuals that have come together for certain purposes that we are united in. Um, and the fun thing is, is that, man, this community exists, can exist far beyond 45 minutes or an hour on a Saturday night. There's a ton of people in here that like to have fun, and we live in a place that during this time of year is just prime for having that fun. So, you know, in a month, we're going to be hanging out behind Rimrock Central, um, like over the 4th of July weekend on the, uh, in the pasture back there in the field, just barbecuing, playing in the creek, things like that. But if you have other ideas about things that you want to do, whether it's boating or climbing or kayaking, hiking, whatever, and this is such a beautiful community to engage in in that way. Um, just let us know. You know, we, uh, we've been going through the last month, going through a series entitled The Gravity of Grace. And we've been looking at the way that God's grace, his unmerited favor and mercy towards humanity is a lot like gravity. It's all around us at all times, and it is what sustains our life, although we are so often unaware of it. Um, to start tonight, I kind of wanted to look at in my opinion, what kind of summarizes God's grace more than anything else in the Bible. And it's the exodus. The physical exodus with Israel and the spiritual exodus that happens post the cross. You know, you guys have probably seen the movies of the Ten Commandments, Charleston Heston or whoever the guy was that did it recently. Uh, You probably know the story, but we'll quickly roll through it. So it, it was a nation of people in bondage to a cruel and inescapable master. After years of slavery, they remembered their creator and cry out for deliverance. God hears the people's cry and sends a mediator, Moses, to carry out their salvation. Through a miraculous display of his power, he brings his people into freedom. By crossing the Red Sea, the destroyer, their former captor, is completely dismantled. And he brings them into a relationship with him. They were redeemed for a relationship. We often forget that. The Israelites were redeemed for a relationship. You know, the same is true for us. For those of us who desire to have it, God sent Jesus as a mediator. He came to save us from an inescapable evil of this world, the one that captivates and puts our souls in bondage. You know, when we cry out for deliverance, our soul is completely set free from slavery to sin and death, and we are reconciled back to our creator. Just like Israel, we are redeemed for a relationship. In this new relationship, we stand utterly forgiven of all of our rebellion against God, past, present, and future. Take a moment to hear this. Regardless of who you hurt or how badly you hurt them in your past, currently, or in the years to come, you are fully redeemed from the just judgment from our Creator. Beyond crying out for deliverance, there is nothing else you must do to be made pure in the eyes of the one who made you. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. You know, we can see the physical exodus as an illustration of what's to come because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, but I think it's far more than that. It's because God does not change. And the way that he desired to save the Israelites physically, he desired to save us spiritually. 
and continues to desire to save us spiritually. And what I really want to look at tonight, though, is what about the law? For those of us redeemed by Jesus, whose actions no longer play into God's view of us or our eternal state of our souls, what is the point of the law? You guys ever wondered that? Maybe it's just some dusty book, right, that was for them in the Old Testament, but now there's really no point to look at it. But God does not change. Does it make sense that a God who does not change, who is perfect from the beginning to the end, would give us something that no longer applies to our life? You know, in order to figure out how the law potentially applies to us, we've got to look at why it was given. Basically, two purposes is what I see. The law was given directly after they crossed the Red Sea. First one was to help them structure their nation. Prior to the Exodus, Israel was a large group of slaves who had little freedom to run their life in the way that they wanted to. They were subject to Pharaoh and his authority. With, God, with their God-given freedom, they now had the ability to establish their own nation, their own culture, their own way of life. With God as their provider and protector, he gave them the law to show them how to live their lives and structure their culture in line with his desires for the world. You know, the foundation of the, of the law is the Ten Commandments, which we all have known um, throughout our lives. And from those Ten Commandments, roll out another 603 other laws that kind of stem from that. Basically makes up the books of Exodus, um, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, a little bit in Numbers as well. So first off, it structured their nation. The second thing, it shows Israel their need for redemption greater than physical. Greater than a redemption from their physical bondage in Egypt. The law was given to make people aware of their sin, to show them that they were unable to live up to the standards of perfection and therefore deserve to fall under the punishment of the law. But the end result was not to be guilt and condemnation, rather an awareness of their need of salvation from their own failures. This is why they were also given the sacrifices. Many of the laws deal with sacrifices. It was to show them that the salvation could only come through the sacrificial death of something declared perfect. Like I said before, they were redeemed for a relationship, not another form of bondage. God did not free them from Pharaoh to put them under some other form of authoritative dictating. They were redeemed for a relationship, and the law plays a big part of this. It shows them how to live the way that the Redeemer lived and made obvious their need to depend on God for even further redemption. The law showed them the beauty of their Creator and His intentions for the world and forced them to humbly trust that God could do for them what they could not do for themselves. In reality, the law was a form of God's grace. The law is a form of God's goodness poured out on humanity. We often see grace and the law as completely contradicting. The law was a form of God's grace. Now what about us, right? That's why we're here, not to learn about Israel, but to learn about us. 
You know, for those of us redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we are no longer subject to the consequences of breaking God's design for the world. Jesus paid that price in full. However, the law applies to us in the same way it did Israel. First, it is there to help us structure our lives. Once we trust in the atoning death of Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. Galatians 4 says that, if you wouldn't mind putting it up, Michael. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. So that way we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. So through trusting Jesus, we become a child, but we also receive a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart I will give you. This is God making a promise. What will happen after the cross? And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, and for the, the Israelites, the Jewish, that point, Jewish people at that point, the heart was the center of their being. Like who, what made them who they are. So he says, I will completely redeem the deepest parts of who you are. So with Jesus' redemption, we get adopted into God's family and we receive a new heart. However, we are still surrounded by a broken world. And our minds and our emotions will still naturally go back to the way that they were raised in a broken world. This is where the law comes in. It has been given by our creator in order to show humanity how we were designed to live. It is here to help us renew our minds and then transform our lives. You know, due to the faulty nature we have been born with and the influence of our culture, we must be reprogrammed back to the way that we were originally designed. Let me give you an analogy. This will make a little bit more sense, hopefully. Think about adoption. A child potentially is pulled from a terrible situation, a hurting family, right, into a loving, secure family. When this happens, he or she is given a new name and is a part of a family that treats him or her very, very well. However, his old nature and the ways that he was taught to live and interact with other people is still ingrained into his mind. So imagine a kid coming at the age of one or two. There's a little bit ingrained into him, but not much. But imagine a kid who's 15, 16, that was raised in a horrible situation. All of these things have been ingrained and programmed into his mind, and he needs to be reprogrammed. You know, the same is true for us. Even though our souls have been released from slavery to death, and we have been adopted as children of the Most High, we still have tendencies to live out of the brokenness we are born into. You know, I was thinking through examples to give. We all love to hear stories about people's lives, specifically the one with the mic. And, and I could go on and on for hours about silly and terrible stories of the way that I lived broken lives, or lived a broken life through a broken mind. Um, but we don't need to waste our time doing that. So I kind of thought of something a little bit bigger, a little bit more at the foundation of it all. You know, I have a natural tendency to want to do things well, as we all do. But I prefer to rely solely on my own skills and talents. 
You know, this is heavily supported by our culture, right? That's what it means to be an American, right? We can pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. We can make ourselves who we want to be based on our own skill, power, ingenuity, right? The list goes on and on. But as I do this, I then seek and expect glory for what I do, my own glorification. The central facet of the law, however, is to glorify God and to depend on him and not myself to bring good into the world. Even though I am a son of God with a new heart, without continually going back to God's design for my life, I will naturally see self-glorification. You know, David, the psalmist, king of Israel, recognized the same tendencies and fought against it in the same way. If you want to look at Psalms 119 for me, please. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my heart to your degrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities and giving me life in your ways. You know, we are born into a broken world with broken minds. It's not hard to find examples of that. But God, because of his grace, laid out the proper way for us to operate. He desires for us to live life abundantly. And as our creator, only the plan that he has for our life can lead to the best possible outcome. Think about that logically. Who knows the best way for you to live? How can you ever top your creator with that answer? The one who made you, the one that understands who you are intimately, the one that knows everything that you've gone through and where your life will go. Who can know a better way for you to live your life? So the first thing that the law does for us, it helps us structure our lives. The second, it shows us our need to depend fully on God. To live a life in full accordance to our creator's design is impossible. The laws in both the Old Testament and the New Testament show us a standard that is beyond our ability to continually reach. The reason for this is God is perfect and we are not. Our inability to live perfect lives reminds us day after day that we are in need of the grace of God, both for redemption of our souls eternally and also for the divine assistance to obey his commands for us here and now. You have to remember that we were redeemed for a relationship and the law was given after redemption. That's crucial to understand. Think about the Exodus. They were pulled out because they called out for help. They were redeemed, brought into a new place in getting to know their God and having that relationship deepened. They were then given the law after the redemption. The law for us is not there to bring about condemnation, but rather to draw us closer to our Redeemer. A big way this happens is through our dependence on God. Because of the law, we can recognize our inadequacies. Knowing that we are cleansed by Jesus' sacrifice and that our Creator's love for us never wavers, our inadequacies should cause us to cling tighter to God. 
to draw closer to him, to depend on him more, knowing that his grace redeems us and will continue to refine us, turning us into our original design. You know, we, uh, we don't have time today. A lot of you probably don't even care, but we don't have time today to look at whether or not this law or that law applies to us now. You know, I gave you a handout to kind of push you down that road if you want to go there. There's full denominations that are set up based on their view of the law. Um, so please look at that, go into it. Um, it's definitely interesting if that's where your mind goes. You know, but in the weeks to come, we're going to dig deeper into this. You know, next week, we're going to look at Jesus' view on the law and the heart of the law, what he sees as the central facets for the law. The week after that, we're going to look at the spirit and his engagement in us through the law. And then the rest of the summer, we're going to look at specific commands in the Old Testament and New of God showing us how to live, whether it's to deal with relationships or money, how to love people well, how to spend our time. We're going to pick one each week and just dig into it. You know, but today, what I wanted us to walk away with is a deeper concept behind the law. Just understanding why the law is there, why God gave it to us. You know, bottom line, God's plan for your life is the only way to have a truly abundant life. Jesus says this in John 10.10. He says that the thief will come to steal and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Think about who Jesus was, God himself coming into the world in order to show the world what God wants the world to be. And he has come to give us abundant life. If you look at the definition for abundant, it simply means having plenty of something. It's having an abundance, a plenty of something. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 kind of helps us get a little bit deeper of an image of what this is. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. You know, those trees are a metaphor for believers, for those who are seeking God and his advice, his counsel, his direction on how they should live their life. I got rid of my paper for a tablet. Silly. You know, what we see, the abundance of what God wants to bring into our life, it boils down to the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control. Think about what you truly want in this world and how these nine things would fully benefit our lives if we had more of them. Think about having more love, feeling abundantly loved, beyond a shadow of a doubt, knowing that you are loved, and then expressing that love in excess to those around you. Think about what life would be like if you had an abundance of joy. Just continually 
wanting to giggle and love on people around you and just seeing the beauty that is around you. More patience. More patience for those around you that you don't want to be patient towards, whether it's kids or parents or teachers, coworkers, bosses. People having more patience for you and how much that would benefit your life. Kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, having a secure, unwavering faith in God and in those around you that you trust. And people having faith in you that you are good and that you will bring good into their life. This is the type of life that God has created us to have an abundant life in these areas. By understanding God's power over all things and his desire for your life, our submission to his authority begins to make sense. God gave us rules to live our lives because he is the author of all life and he knows exactly what will lead to the life that you most deeply desire. He wants that life for you. The life that you truly want, that's what God wants for you. A life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Right? But we forget this so easily. We continually think that we know what is best for us, that our logic and emotions can lead to the life that we want. We live our lives believing that we understand what is truly good. Let me ask you a couple questions, make this a little more personal. First, how long have you been alive? 16, 30, 50, 60. In those years, have you come to a full understanding of how to best live your life? Do you make mistakes? In hindsight, do you wish that you would have made decisions differently? The reality is that we are not perfect. It's easy to spot if you're humble with yourself. We do not understand the best way to live our lives. In our temporary and fleeting time here on earth, we cannot figure out how to live the most abundant life possible. It is logically impossible to do that. Our creator, however, who stands outside of time, has directly stepped into our lives not only to redeem us spiritually, but to give us redemption from our broken minds. He redeemed us for a relationship, one in which he desires to guide us into the best possible lives we can live, here and now, tomorrow, this summer, for your 35th year, your 60th year. He wants to give it to you now. It all depends, however, on our willingness to recognize his authority and trust his guidance for us to have an audience of one. Just one. That's all that matters. One to guide us. One to approve of what we are doing. One to care for us. An audience of one is how we've been created to live. You know, as the, Josh and Carrie come back up, just take a moment with me to just still our minds, kind of approach our creator, just, if you desire, in a way that just kind of submits to him. 
God, it is just so obvious to me in this world that you created everything and that apart from you, there is nothing worthwhile. So out of that mindset, I just surrender to you. I declare that the life that I want will not exist outside of you and I desire your direction. Not my own logic, not my emotions telling me how to go, but rather you through your spirit, through your written law, I desire for you to show me how to live well here and now. I trust that you will show that to me and I submit to whatever direction you give.